0: A very good day to you all. Welcome back to Euro Weekly as myself, Ollie Wilson, and Jason Pettigrove run through some of the big stories from around the continent on all things football we do have though a English football special this week because it's the festive period it's time to look at the Boxing Day fixtures and to get into all of the hectic Christmas period action we'll be looking back at the two Manchester clubs Liam Canning and Jason Pettigrove. we're chatting all things Manchester United and Manchester City as Solskjaer's woes continue at the Red Devils with their loss against bottom of the table Watford on Sunday and of course Manchester City getting a big victory on Saturday night against Leicester City a bit later Later on, Danny Gabadon and I will be chatting all things Tottenham-Chelsea as we look at the fallout from Lampard against Mourinho and the incidents off the pitch as well that are still affecting the world of football and diving into a little look ahead to Leicester City against Liverpool. By far the standout tie of the Boxing Day fixture list. A big thanks to listening. Follow us, of course, on Twitter at Jason Pettigrove at O underscore J underscore Wilson. Enjoy the festive football. And here is Jason talking to Liam Canning about all things Manchester football.
1: be a culture shock from even from 2013 when Ferguson left to actually get him is, is a big coup for them
2: I think Braves sort of more than anything is, is, is a trophy
0: they haven't, won, they haven't won a trophy now for close to 12 years
3: last time yep. we spoke was a few months ago and uh, it was when that "I lays at the wheel saying was very much in vogue and i specifically remember saying to you on the, this podcast what happens if the wheels fall off now <laughs> now before today's game against Watford which we'll come on to a bit later on united had lost one in the last 10 i think in all competitions and going further oh. back there were some decent results there 1-1 v liverpool they beat chelsea 2-1 away in the cup but I've never really had the sense that United are going places like they were in the lead up to Solskjaer signing his contract. Uh, you know, I don't know what it is, but there seems to be like there's something missing. So do you think that's down to the manager and his tactics or is it a culture thing at the club or you know, maybe it's something else entirely?
1: I, I think there's definitely many facets to to sort of explore into what's not going right at United at the moment. Um I think partly it could be a culture shock um from even from 2013 when Ferguson left. So we're still in the hangover, I, still, I believe. that um, you know, from, from that point up until now, the six years of chopping and changing managers, chopping and changing players, players from different cultures and backgrounds all sort of integrating into one side, that is expected to tick and expected to challenge for the Premier League and Champions League trophies, major honours, and they just haven't. And I think Solskjaer's obviously come in, he did exceptionally well when Jose Mourinho was sacked, sort of this time last year. Um, obviously had that amazing night in Paris where they where they won and went through, was rewarded with a contract, and then it sort of stagnated. And ever since that point, really in March, April time, it has been so inconsistent. One week they'll turn up against a Manchester City and and win. The next they'll lose to to an Aston Villa or a Watford, like they did um, obviously today. So. For for life, I, I, there's not there's not one thing that you can pinpoint and say that's the that's the answer to what's going on at United. I think you look at the management behind the scenes. I don't think that's clear. It's not as clear as Man City's model. It's not as clear as Liverpool's model. Yeah. There's lots of muddling going on behind the scenes to do with scouting and and bringing players through the door. Um, the players on the pitch currently, in my opinion, probably not good enough to sort of get to the next level. Getting to to Champions League football get into challenging for major honours I don't think is good enough um, you've obviously had the absence of Paul Pogba for, for four or five months is his heart truly in it possibly not I know his agents obviously come out this week and, and defended that and that's fine but realistically speaking would he rather be in a Madrid or a Barcelona or one of the big big, big clubs um, that are actually challenging in, in all fronts probably you have to be realistic there and honest with yourselves as fans and um, and then the manager, you know, does he have the tactical nuances to to get results on a consistent basis? The history and the results show. Since April, no, he doesn't. And that's just based upon fact. Yes, he can beat Tottenham two um, one at home. Yes, he can then go three days later to the Etihad and win two one. But then Everton, he draws to at home. He, he um, and then, and now he lost to uh, to Watford, obviously away from home. Yeah. So I, th- I think the difficulty, sorry, it's quite long The difficulty is away from home and when United are in possession, they can't seem to penetrate enough. They don't have the players, they don't have the resources, the talent to penetrate those teams who deploy a lower block um, and they can't get in behind them. It's when teams actually attack them and because of their counter-attack, because of the likes of Marcus Rashford, Anthony Martial, Dan James, they've got the speed and they've got the pace to then punish those teams. But it's the clubs who just sit back they do not know how how to play football against them and it's
3: that. you mentioned the champions league i mean looking at the table it stands today you're uh, in eighth place 24 yeah. points behind liverpool bizarrely only 13 <laughs> ahead of watford um, yeah. given that and the, and the way they've been playing sort of overall would fourth place in a champions league spot be a success for united would that be good enough for solskjaer to be kept in the job do you think or realistically are his days numbered if things don't improve significantly
1: I think the Christmas period will be incredibly telling um, to where United you know, sort of see themselves in the next six months. Obviously, they've got Newcastle, Burnley, and Arsenal coming up in quick succession. And Newcastle and Burnley, on paper, even Arsenal at this moment in time, you should be winning all three of those games. You know, from where from where they've been against Tottenham and Man City, they should be going into those games getting nine points. Realistically, yeah. they are going to drop points <laughs> as they have done today. So, you know, three games say, worst-case scenario, they lose all three of those games. The pressure that's going to be on Solskjaer's back is just going to be huge and I think it's going to be very difficult then to look past that when you've got a manager like Maurizio Pochettino as well, who's out of work, who the fans and the club have tried to sort of swoon to to come to Old Trafford. I think it's going to be very difficult to then ignore that. Um, But to answer your question, fourth place would be a miracle at this stage, I think. I know they're only seven points behind Chelsea, obviously, winning the moment against um, against Tottenham, but I think it would just be a miracle, given the amount of inconsistent performances that have already happened this part of the season. Um, I, I, I think it's, it is, it's very optimistic to think that they'll come forth because Sheffield United, Wolves, Tottenham, Arsenal probably bounce back under Arteta. Um, you've know, got Man City, Leicester and Liverpool. Those three are definitely staying. So then you've got five, six, seven clubs. They're all within a couple of points of each other. Between Brighton, who are in 13th, to Wolves, who are in sixth, you've got six points seven points is nothing it's all, you know so play for, isn't it? massively massively all to play for um, and as you've just said there they're closer to Watford than they are to the top of the table so you know it's very convoluted down that area so i think it'd be massively optimistic and hopeful to think yeah they're going to finish in top four place. it depends obviously who they bring in in january if they do Um but saying I say, that, regardless
3: I think, of who they bring in though i mean united have always had well, they've been known for bringing their youngsters through now Obviously, yeah. Mason Greenwood's coming to the attention of the wider public now. I've seen him live and thought he was electric. You, you've got the likes of McTominay, Twinzaby, who was superb mm-hmm. against Colchester, and there are others. There seems to be a clamour amongst some United fans to get, if not all of them, then most of them, into a starting eleven on a regular basis. And I wonder if there would there be sort of more of an acceptance of a longer transitional period again if the team got its identity back. I mean, is that a fair comment? Or do you think United just aren't in any kind of position at the moment to be able to rely too heavily on, on that amount of youth players coming through?
1: No, I, I agree with you. But everyone wants, as soon as, as soon as a new name pops up from the academy, everyone wants them to play every single game. But it's just not realistic. Not when you're in the Premier League. like The emergence of Brandon Williams, the young left-back, is only 19. It's been fantastic. And he's played quite a few Europa League games. He's played in the Cup as well. Um, and he's had a few starts in the Premier League. Everyone say, well, not everyone, but a large um, proportion of Manchester United fans are saying Williams needs to play every week. He's only 19. He's going to make mistakes, and, and the difficulty is then for that player when he does make the mistakes, he'll get hounded for that. Unfortunately, it's just how football works. You get you get sorted out after that, off those mistakes. That's going to ruin his confidence. So I don't think Solsha has done anything poorly in, in terms of managing the young players. I think he's actually done quite a good job in that in that regard. I wasn't expecting Dan James to be as prominent as he has been but I think that's primarily because of a lack of talent that we have or United have um, out on the wings. I think that's probably because of that more so than Dan James's exceptional quality but then he's taken that, those chances that he's been given and he's done very, very well and he fits into to that forward momentum type um, attacking style that, that Solskjaer wants to play on the counter-attack but has he got it in the final third at this moment? He's only 22 and he's come from Swansea. But has he got it at this moment to pick out a pass, pick out a cross in the final third when, when you've got seven, eight different players um, on the opposition all defending a crowded area? That's the, that's the difficulty that United have. Um, so, yeah, obviously United are a club that you know notoriously have brought young players through and they will continue to do that. But they shouldn't, in this day and age, be reliant on... On those players, they should have enough quality around the team to um, to obviously kick on and, and be challenging, you know, for titles. But they just they just haven't been.
3: Yeah There is another nineteen-year-old that's been still heavily linked to United at the moment. That's Red Gold Salzburg Zolinger, mm. outstanding in the Champions League this season. Assuming there is an element of truth to the rumours, would that mean the end of somebody like Martial at United, or would he complement what you've got there?
1: Yeah, I can't see it being the end of Martial. You know, he's just signed a fairly new contract as well. Um, He's 24 years of age. I think it's easy to forget that some of these. I mean, Rash was 22, Martial's 24, Lukaku a bit older, um, but he's obviously he moved on to Inter Milan. It's Zlatan who was um, mid 30s, but he's he obviously moved on as well. So in terms of United's centre forwards, out and out centre forwards, they haven't actually got a senior one. So as Martial rises through, as Rashford rises through, and they're 27, 28, even if you bring Haaland in, you're going to be 21, 22. So although Haaland has done exceptionally well now, he's not, I don't think, he, he. if he was to move to Manchester United, he wouldn't be expecting himself, I don't think, to be playing every single game. Of course, he'll be in contention to, but at 19, I think he is. Um, I don't think it's it's realistic to go to a club the size of Manchester United, Juventus, the other clubs that are linked within Borussia Dortmund, and be starting every game. I think he's got to work, work his way in, especially without the background and the knowledge um, from playing in, in English football in the Premier League. It's different. Obviously, it's going to be different to the Austrian Austrian Bundesliga and Champions League, of course. As you saw, Fred and his adaptation to English football, it's taken 18 months. Yeah, but but he was but he's been good in Europe. He's been good and con, and consistent throughout his Champions League Europa League games. It's the Premier League side of things that he struggled with. But it's only this season really that he's kicked on. Um, so I think it'll take time for Haaland. And I think for a talent that is so good at that age it would be wrong of Manchester United not to pursue it if they end up with him or not okay fine but you have to go for him because it'll just it will come to a stage when he's 23 24 and he's reached another level and then instead of the 30 40 million we're talking about now it's obviously 100 150 could be anything so a club has to go you know in, in that position has to go for him um, but I still think if they was bought in he'll obviously play a fair amount of games um, but I don't think it'll be the end of Martial or obviously Rashford or anyone
3: like that. Yeah. I think they could have done with okay. him today. I mean, we're recording this a yes. couple of hours after the Watford United match. There's, there's a few things I want to bring up. Yeah. No shots on target for United in the opening half an hour against the league's bottom <laughs> club and even taking into account the, sort of the new manager bounce, if you want to call it that, and Nigel Pearson's uh-huh. tactics. For me, that's a damning indictment of where United's attack are at the moment. It's been a year, I think, since Jesse Lingard scored or assisted for United. He had a great chance to do it today, blew it. That is simply not good enough for a a player of that quality, because I do think he is a quality player. He's just not got enough confidence at the moment. And personally, I'd even be inclined to give David De Gea an extended period on the sidelines. That mistake today Mm. doesn't say to me that that's a keeper with any sort of confidence. Watford's two goals, that's given them just 11 for the season. That's four worse than Palace and eight less than anyone else in the division. What are your thoughts on that performance generally? And I mean, could there have been anything that Solskjaer could have changed that would have given you, I mean, it sounds very strange, giving United hope against the team bottom of the table. But (laughs) it it is what it is to kind of phrase.
1: But it's... It's been this, this type of performance is sort of an indictment for the whole season and, and to be honest, for six, seven months, especially away from home. You know, it's just been shocking week in, week out from when it all stems from when, Man as I said before, Man United, when they have possession today, they had 64% possession, but they couldn't make it count. They don't know how to make it count. They don't have that final pass. They don't have a Juan Mata when he was 24, 25 and at Chelsea. They don't have that player. They have an older Juan Mata who, you know, Athletically, he's not he's not where he, he once was, um, so it makes it very difficult for him to play in this side. They don't have that that number ten, that key creative player who can link the midfield to the forwards and and provide a golden assist. Jesse Lingard plays in that number ten role, and as you've just pointed out, he hasn't scored or assists in the Premier League for over a year. How how can that how can that then how how can he be in the starting eleven? You know, for most weeks, I know he had an injury, but he's come back now. So. It just, yeah, I, I think the performance, it doesn't shock me and it shouldn't shock any Manchester United fan out there because they've seen it time and time again. It could be Watford, it could be Aston Villa, it could be any newly promoted side. It's the same performance that is coming out of the club um, and coming from the players and individual mistakes and individual errors that are costing the club points at the end of the day. That's what that's how it has been for a long time. So in terms of what Oli could have done differently, well, I think he could have brought more players in in the summer. You know, I think he should have brought in a midfielder, at least. When when you get rid of Maron Fellaini and you get rid of Ando Herrera, you get you get rid of two very specialist players. Herrera for linking it with Pogba and allowing him to move forward more. That's what he did excellently. And he was a terry on the pitch for, for Oli and even Jose. Um And, and Fellaini at set pieces. Fellaini in the air. air really, he was dominant, physical, robust. That's, that's the type of midfielder that United just don't have. You know, Matic, I you know he's been injured, but he, again... Athletically, physically, he's not where he once was. He can't get around the pitch as as he could a couple of years ago or in his first year at United. So they don't have that player um, that that obviously they had in in Fellaini and and both with with Herrera. So they needed a midfielder. So this is where it all stems from. It's poor recruitment over the last three, four, five years. And it's all just stemmed up and it's all built up to where we are now. Um, So in terms of personnel, I don't see it on the bench you know, he brought on Greenwood, he brought on Pogba, he brought on Matter. he left out Pereira, young and Matic. Who 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 can you change to bring that on? <laughs> you know, um how do you change the game? We you had can't... exactly this
3: discussion, didn't we, though, you know, I think it was six, seven months ago when we were last yeah. speaking on the pod. And it and it seems odd that all this time later and they're still having the same issues. It makes yeah. me wonder actually who they might try and bring in um in the in the window. But just moving across town, City haven't been quite the force over the last few seasons although they took Leicester apart in the end yesterday that they probably should have won mm. by more than 3-1 when they're on something like that there's there's no step in them but I get the feeling they're coming to the end of a cycle now it wouldn't even surprise me to see Guardiola leaving the summer if they don't win the Champions League this season I mean mm. you watch the Premier League more than I do I think they've really missed Vincent Company. they've lost mm. this season already not sure it Quite puts them out of the title race just yet, but I don't think they can really afford to to lose any more. Do you think they've still got enough about them to mount a sustained challenge and make things competitive?
1: I think I think it's very difficult. You know, when you go past the Christmas period and, and Liverpool come out, you know, obviously with a bit of a rest, you know, over in Qatar at the moment, just won the Club World Cup. Um, I think Liverpool will use that to their you know most best advantage, like a summer sort of break in terms of that with the warm weather training, etc. Gives them a bit of a refresh. They'll come back, I think, fighting strong. And the 11-point gap is with Liverpool, with a game in hand. Um, so I think it's going to be very, very difficult for City to overturn that. Um, and even get above Leicester right now. You know they're, they're still a point behind Leicester. I know they beat them yesterday. But Leicester are very consistent. Very consistent. Um, whereas City are up and down at the moment in, in the league. And I get the impression that it's actually... Guardiola's focus is going to be on the on the Champions League, which makes obvious sense. You know, of course, he's not going to admit it publicly that he's not throwing the towel in for the Premier League. But when it comes, well, when push comes to shove, he'll he'll prioritise the the Champions League and, and European success because he wants that. He wants that accolade for himself. He couldn't do it by Munich. Um, so far, he's, he's struggled and, and wasted a few opportunities to do it, especially last season um, in the Champions League. So I just think. Out of those two, knowing where he is now in the league, knowing where the club are and what they can do with Laporte, who's been absolutely instrumental in their success over the last couple of years, without his his guidance, knowledge, expertise in, in the central defence, um, I think, yeah, they're just going to go for, go for broken in the, in the Europe, European um, stage. And as you said, it wouldn't surprise me, should they fail in accruing that Champions League, that um, Guardiola could move on, yeah.
3: Yeah, well, City's first chance to get closer to the Reds is on December the 27th. They've got a tough trip to Wolves. Bet victories okay. has them at 5-2 to two on to win at Molyneux. Wolves' victory seven to one or you can get 19-5 to five for the draw. The day before that, on Boxing Day, Liverpool are away at Leicester, and what is definitely the game of the day. Yeah, it'll be interesting for me to see just how much their Club World Cup exertions have taken out of them. Probably with that in mind, that their odds for a win at... 23-20, Foxes win nine to four and the draws at thirteen to five. Liam, I'm sure you'll be hoping for a Man United win on Boxing Day when United hosts Newcastle and Steve Bruce. Despite that disastrous performance today, the Red Devils are one to three on with Bet Victor for the win, four to one for the draw and nine to one for the magpies to make it a miserable Christmas for those going to Old Trafford. The other festive Premier League games we've got are Sheffield United Watford, Crystal Palace host West Ham. Carlo Ancelotti will be in the Everton dugout for the first time as they take on Burnley at Goodison. Mikel Arteta also, uh, he takes his Arsenal team for the first time to Bournemouth. Aston Villa play Norwich. Spurs take on Brighton and Chelsea host Southampton. And remember, if you're going to bet on any of those games or any others, odds are subject to change. You must be 18 or over to use Bet Victor. Please gamble responsibly. And for more information on that, visit gambleaware.org. Liam, thanks as always for your time. Just remind our listeners where they can find you on Twitter.
1: At Liam Paul Canning. Cheers, Jason.
3: Okay, great stuff. You can find me on Twitter at Jason Pettigrove. And all that remains is for me to wish you all a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And we'll see you all again in 2020.
0: Big thanks to Jason and Liam just then for entertaining us with all things Manchester football. But there's plenty away from the city of Manchester going on in the Premier League. Of course, we got into a little bit of Everton against Arsenal as the two new managers watched over their new sides. Ancelotti and Arteta, of course, taking the reins at those respective clubs. That wasn't a great one to watch, but Tottenham against Chelsea had plenty of fireworks. Unfortunately, more off the pitch than on it. And of course, there's a little look as well coming up to Leicester against Liverpool on Boxing Day. Delighted to say that up next on the podcast, Crystal Palace legend, Wales international, or former Wales international, should I say, and all-round top bloke, Danny Gabbard on here on Euro Weekly. A man who's becoming a... I wouldn't say self-proclaimed legend in the media world as well, but he certainly gets about the place, selling his wares around Christmas for anybody that'll purchase them. Danny Gabbard on former Wales International, former Crystal Palace and a host of other clubs as well, uh, joining us on here. Danny, mate, festive greetings to
2: you. How are you, bud? Merry Christmas to you, Ollie. How are
0: you? I'm very well. Very well. Uh, as you well know, I was uh, up late last night watching uh, some yes. American football, so I'm a happy man after the results that took place <laughs> yesterday. So I'm, I'm smiling a lot more than I thought I was going to be, to be uh, honest. I know.
2: You, you weren't... Confident when I spoke to you, you weren't confident. You said your team had multiple injuries, and you, you almost, well, you didn't sound confident that your team were going to get it, get the win. But they, uh, they, they came through adversity and, and and got the win for you. So I'm I'm pleased for you.
0: Thanks, Ben. Um, yeah, it's. I feel like I've been through so much adversity this week with dealing with social nights out and everything like that, still grinding <laughs> through the work. I mean, I feel I know how any pro athlete feels around about this time because it's such a busy period and I've been beaten batting and bruised and and I'm still just getting down and doing my job. I mean what's what's the festive season like for a, for a professional when obviously you were you were playing not too long ago as well Dan? I don't want to what cast you off as like an old man who's out of touch <laughs> with the game or anything.
2: Yeah, it, it, well I think it's about 5 years now. It feels uh feels like one really it's, it's gone kind of so quickly. <laughs> but um yeah, the festive period I mean i don't know you can kind of look at it either way you know it's a bit frustrating obviously because you, you you play a lot of games and you don't get to spend much time at' with your family at christmas you, you don't get to eat you know, the, all the food that you want to, or have a few drinks and stuff. It's it's very much, you know, down to business because there's a lot of games. But um, on the flip side of that, it is great playing at Christmas as well because obviously a lot of families come out to watch the games and the atmosphere is that the games are really good. And mm. you, know, you don't really train too much around Christmas Eve. It's just going from game to game, which is nice. You know, a lot of players will tell you that they hate the training side of things. So, <laughs> so it's just nice to go and play. And um, yeah, so I mean, me personally. I quite like the Christmas period. It was tough on the body and stuff because of all the games, but um, but it was really nice if you could pick up some, you know, some good results as well. Did you did you ever do
0: the cheeky as as we saw with Kovacic yesterday in the uh, Tottenham Chelsea game? Did you ever do the cheeky just leading into Christmas, get that fifth yellow card, or get sent <laughs> off so you could get Boxing Day off? Uh,
2: you know what? I always, we would always speak about stuff like that in the, in the dressing room and stuff, but I wasn't one that personally. Um, did it myself, but there was <laughs> there was definitely one or two who, you know, where you actually sat down and thought about it, and oh, this is like the second, third time over Christmas he hasn't played or whatever he's been suspended, and you're thinking, oh, maybe he's doing this purposely. But no, me myself, um, I mean, I, I was never suspended in my whole career, never sent off. I don't think so. Um, that tells you that the integrity I had as a player <laughs> just wanted wanted to be out there playing.
0: Humble, humble to the end, Dan.
3: Humble <laughs> to the end.
0: Uh, let's let's start with uh, Tottenham against Chelsea because that that's the main talking points. For instance, on and off the pitch. In terms of on the pitch, and we look at this Chelsea side right now. A lot of people still would have said with with Mourinho, and even though it's been a shaky start at Tottenham, that was that's a game that Tottenham at home against a, a still relatively inexperienced Chelsea side in, in certain areas of the pitch. That Tottenham should have got a, a convincing victory with the class and quality they have in that squad, but. Min Song gets sent off again for like the third time in the calendar year, <laughs> and and Chelsea took him apart for large parts of the game. To be honest,
2: they were they were schooled in all departments, uh, Tottenham, and and that really surprised me. I thought going into the game it'd be a an intriguing one, kind of tactically, um, and certainly you know the form of both teams going into the game. I think Chelsea had lost four out of five, and and Mourinho had won four of his five games. So you know I thought it'd be a lot. Closer um, and and tactically, you know the the styles of the the two managers um, were quite interesting. You know Lampard has got his team playing some really good free flowing football this season. The Marinos come in and the, the Tottenham have already become a bit more kind of pragmatic, less possession, playing on the counter attack a bit more. So I thought it'd be a good kind of tactical matchup, but. But Chelsea just, you know, for minute one, really, they dominated in all areas. Uh, Lampard came in and changed the system, went to a three at the back and it. It just seemed to work perfectly. Um, Tottenham just couldn't, they just looked disjointed. They couldn't get anything going in possession of the ball. Every time they got the ball, they turned the ball back over. Um, you know, spaces in midfield, Mason Mount was getting in the pockets and getting turned and running. And, you know, you could just see Tottenham players just look... Really confused. They didn't understand um, the system, what they were trying to do. Um, I've never really seen a Mourinho team kind of dragged around the pitch as much as that as what Chelsea did to them. You, know, you can look at kind of Dele Ali as well. His kind of position that he was playing, I couldn't understand what Mourinho was trying to do with him, and you could see the frustrations with him in the first half, and he had a little bit of need with Kovacic and stuff. And the, kind of the sending off second half was just a, a byproduct of. Chelsea's good performance really and uh, you could see the frustration building and and then obviously Son got himself sent off and that was kind of game over really and it was it was a, it was a top performance in Chelsea probably the the best away performance I've seen from from any team this season really so you have to give credit to the uh, to the apprentice there he totally <laughs> scored scored the master
0: <clears throat> that that will Sick of Mourinho a little bit because you know that he enjoys the kind of pre-match handshake with Frank. Like, oh, well, oh, congratulations! Yeah, great to see you again. Yeah, fantastic. But he's a competitor. He's a winner, and he doesn't want to be usurped by somebody younger and more inexperienced than him.
2: No, he doesn't. And and they're both winners. To be fair, I think you look at Frank Lampard and you know his kind of personality, his mentality as a player. Um, he would have learned a lot. Um, well, he did learn a lot. Would have played his best football under Jose Mourinho. So they're both. You know built of the same kind of makeup, really. They neither player, no, neither manager, so I wouldn't have wanted to lose that game. Um, but it's the more the manner of the defeat as well. Um, you know, Josie, you've probably seen those kind of results a little bit more. Um, in the last kind of you know, year or so, and with Josie when he was at Manchester United, um, a few results like that where they were soundly beaten, but. You're just not used to seeing it normally because normally Josie Mourinho teams they're so organized, they're difficult to beat. Um, but it just seems like you know, over the last year or since, since the Manchester United job, um, you know, he doesn't really seem to be the same person. And just looking at that game yesterday, you know, the old Mourinho, he probably would have changed that after about 15 minutes they were playing that bad, but he just seemed to kind of just let it happen, really let it go to kind of 2 0. You know, got to half time and then he you know, brought Eric Dyer off, but it was something that needed changing. Probably after 10, 15 minutes, they were playing that bad, and um, and he didn't really do anything about it. Um, I mean, you can't legislate for what Gazaniga did either. You know, some of the worst pieces. Well, I thought the Gea was bad actually in the game before, but. He just took the heat right off him with what he did. It was <laughs> it was just it was ridiculous. I've never seen goalkeeper like that in my life. Um,
0: He's allowed to use his hands, isn't he? We just need to remind yes, him. Like someone could... tell him. <laughs>
2: <laughs> a foot, uh, six foot high in the air, jumping sideways at an on running attack. I, I couldn't believe it, it's, it's one of them. If I was playing, when the ball went over the top, and um, I think it was Sanchez was running back, and he thinks, "Oh look, my keeper's got it covered." It's one of them as a defender as it's going into the box, you, you you almost turn around and start running back up the field because you just think your goalkeeper's <laughs> going to just catch it. Um, and, and, oh, great. You know, I, I'll just go wide and he can throw it out to me or we'll just push up and you will kick it upfield and then you'll turn around. And so he's given a penalty away. It was just why he didn't go with his hands, I'll never know. It was it was bizarre. And, and, Absolutely and how, bizarre.
0: how it took VAR that long to look at it so many times, it's almost like
2: they were in shock as well. Of
0: wait, what are we looking at here? Like he must have done something correctly, yeah. otherwise he wouldn't have done
2: like, yeah. Yeah, and 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 Anthony Taylor actually gave a foul the other way first, which is even more bizarre. He gave a foul actually on, on Marcus Alonso. So why it took so long to clear up, you know, as soon as I saw it, I thought, you know, that's a penalty. Um and, and as you say, yeah, maybe VR was just so surprised that, you know, it was actually a foul the other way. So um and that was a key moment in the game, you know, at one nil, you know, Tottenham were bad, but you know, at one nil you're still in the game and you know, maybe you can have a little charge up towards the end and make a couple of subs and stuff. But you know, once it went two nil and then obviously the son sending off, you know, that was game over. To be fair, um, and to, and to be fair to the Tottenham League, they, they kept going with ten men. You know, they had a go. Um, you know, they didn't fold, uh, which I thought was going to be interesting because obviously we've spoken about the Tottenham dressing room and players um, being on a different page and stuff. Is the team spirit the same? And you know, when you go down to ten men, two nil, it's easy then for that to show a bit more. But to be fair, they looked fairly together. They kept going. Um, but they, they, I mean, they could have been here all day and not scored Chelsea with that kind of dominance. So, uh, it was just, it was just, it was a imp- really impressive performance uh, from Chelsea. Um, and, you know, with the Johnny window coming up now, Frank can get a couple of players in as well. And, um, you know, I can see Chelsea now in the next probably maybe year or so, if they keep progressing with these young players, they could, they could be challenging for the title.
0: Yeah, maybe in a, a situation, I guess, where the, the problems of the the transfer embargo has forced them to do something that has been actually something they should have done a long time ago with the discussion or every year, it seemed, that they're going to invest in youth, invest in youth, and now they've been forced to. It's kind of paying off.
2: Yeah, it is. Um, and for years, you know, everyone knows that Chelsea have had the best youth team about, you know, constantly winning FA Youth Cups and constantly bringing through and developing players and, you know, tons of them out on loan and, and doing well, but then not getting an opportunity in the first team. And it's been staring them in the face, really, for so long. Um So it's great that Frank Lampard's kind of come in there. Um And sometimes it takes a bit of adversity or something to, to promote a bit of change. You know, it was a similar thing where... Swansea City this season where they got relegated from the Premier League. They had to sell all their best players and it, it gave a lot of young players opportunities to come in and do well. And, you know, the transfer embargo at Chelsea is something similar. You know, they have not able to sign players, so he's gone with the youth players. And, you know, they're all ready. You can see that they've all come in and hit the ground running. Um, and it's just kind of brought a freshness to them, which I thought was really evident yesterday. You know, they were full of energy, full of running. Um, full of hunger and desire and, and and that was probably the main difference between the two teams yesterday. They Tottenham almost looked like an old team. They they looked leggy, they they didn't have any energy. They couldn't get about a pitch. They couldn't close the spaces down and, and, and Chelsea just seemed just seemed full of life and just seemed to want a game of that little bit more.
0: Danny, we've got to talk a little bit about the, the incidents, obviously, with uh, with Rudiger and, and the racial abuse that was thrown towards Chelsea players by, from by Tottenham fans. Uh, at this point, it sh- should we now just have a case of, and, and I'm not saying that there is an easy solution to any of this and, and that we can just make a statement and that's the end and be all and done with it, but players should just walk off now when they hear anything like that. I mean, th- there was three PA announcements at Tottenham about racial abuse. It's just got to a point where we just shouldn't we just be stopping the game if anything like this is happening?
2: Yeah, I think um, there needs to be strong action now because it's happening too often. It is a big problem, you know, it's in society in general. Uh, we tend to speak a lot about the racism in other countries, but you know, it's happening right here in our country and, and we're hearing more and more about it. Um, you know, the media coverage, the cameras now that are all around the stadiums are, are helping to to highlight this and pick this up a lot more so it does need stronger action you know the things that you know the FA uh, Premier League whatever doing at the minute um, are obviously not working or they're not doing enough um, and look it is it is a difficult one because you know how do you totally eradicate that um, I'm not sure how you, if that's even possible to be honest with you you know mm. look at the world we live in it's a very diverse kind of culture everybody has their own kind of opinions on things and that's what makes the world a you know a wonderful place to kind of live in but then on the flip side of that you are going to get people um that do things like this so it's what can you really do at the end of the day you know people have their own opinions on stuff and it's disappointing but it's, it's very difficult to to totally eradicate that um but i do think it's probably has got to a point where you know you have to it has to be strong action, um, and it, you know it needs to be done kind of quickly. And that's probably the only thing I can think of now. You know, players walking off the pitch and just kind of stopping the entertainment until, you know, until the players are ready to, to go back on, or that person, or whoever you know, people that have done it have been kind of thrown out of the stadium. Um, mm. I think that's the that's where we've got to with it now. Um, you know, announcements on the on the tano and stuff like that, and you know what's that really going to do? And as I said, it's been shown to have done nothing so far because people are still doing it. So I think, yeah, just walk the players off the pitch. Um, And until these people are, are thrown out or whatever, or until the players feel comfortable to go back on the pitch, then... Then they don't, they stay in the dress room. Um, it's, It needs to be that kind of strong action now to try and get this, this thing you know, kind of kicked out of the game if we can.
0: Yeah, it needs to be. It's not a problem that's solvable, as you say, but it's something that there can be far tougher action done by the FA. And I know the Premier League has been criticised for kind of palming off the uh, the dealing with this on well the FA as well. So hopefully we'll see the Premier League taking in more action and decisive action when it comes to this sort of thing. Um, let's look at a far more positive story going into Christmas before we look at the Boxing Day games. There's two, actually, that I want to touch on. We'll try and jam them together because I know we're running out of time with you here, mate. Um, Sheffield United, fifth in the Premier League table. Great for some. Um, I'll leave my own personal thoughts on Sheffield United out of it for the moment. <laughs> and uh, and Carlo Ancelotti, a man that you've... I know you've uh, followed a bit of Italian football in the past and, uh, and Ancelotti obviously comes with a fantastic resume. And of all the clubs that you would think... That needed a manager, you would have thought maybe Arsenal would be going for someone like Carlo and he ends up at Everton instead. I mean, very, very odd times in the Premier League right now.
2: Yeah, um, anything is possible now, I think, in football. To be honest with you, um, you kind of look at those two appointments and yeah, you almost think you'd be a better fit if they swapped kind of Arteta (laughs) going to Everton and Chalotti maybe going to to Arsenal and and both kind of managers probably sitting and watching that game. Um, I'm not sure they probably would have want to manage either club. To be honest, how bad that Everton Arsenal game was, they probably mm-hmm. both thought they've made a mistake. But
3: um,
2: <laughs> it's, but I, I think from from an Everton point of view, um, this is where they've been wanting to go. Obviously, since Masihiri kind of came in, the money that they have, you know, they do want to become kind of that elite level club, um, and the money's there, but they don't have the kind of prestige of being a big club. So you can have all the money in the world, but getting you know, trying to attract those big names is, is kind of difficult. It, you know, it takes a long period of time and um, you need some success off the back of that. So for them to kind of get Ancelotti, someone who they would hope to have as their manager, but realistically would think, well, that's not possible at the minute. To actually get him is, is a big coup for them, I think. Whether he's going to be the right manager for where they are as a team at the minute, I don't know. I mean, he's got a fantastic kind of CV, but, you know, he is well-renowned for... Working with elite level teams, elite level players, and and managing those those kind of egos really well. But this is a totally different kind of gig for him. I don't know how many relegation battles he's he's got on that CV. Not too many. So um, it's going to be interesting. Going to be interesting to see how he does there, and, and and Arteta as well. Um, you know that's another rebuild job. Um, I think probably less pressure on him because you know Arsenal can't get any worse at the minute. And he can. I think if he can go in there with a the squad they got and get them a bit more organised and, and just get a winning mentality in those players. That's the biggest thing with Arsenal. So you look at them and there's no leaders, there's no desire, there's no hunger, there's no drive to want to go and win things, I don't think. There's just a the real casual nature about that that club and it's been that way for a long time. So if he can bring that winning mentality uh, that he's he's had under Pep at Man City, uh, a bit more organisation to that team and you can see them kind of climbing up the league. But um, it's going to be a an intriguing one with those two.
0: I'm looking forward to seeing Carlo Ancelotti who's a big fan of food looking uh, across <laughs> at like what you can pick up on a night out in Merseyside and be like oh okay this is a l- far cry from the lovely pork sandwiches that you can get outside the San zero and stuff like that <laughs> he's, uh, he's yeah, going to be... be kebabs <laughs> and, uh,
2: I don't know what to eat up there. What do to eat up in Liverpool what's the local delicacy on, do you
0: know no idea absolutely no yeah. idea I, I mean I w- always think of English food cliche like Cockney stuff you know jelly deals and all that sort of yeah. thing so on yeah. Merseyside there must be something if anybody up on Merseyside knows let us know um, he'd be
2: looking for a decent Italian wouldn't he
0: <laughs> again I don't know if that I mean Liverpool City Centre obviously changed a lot over the last 15 years or so so there must be a decent Italian place up there must for him be, must he be. Will, that is the place to go and have your dinner every single night in Liverpool <laughs> for the next few weeks just until Ancelotti gets settled um, yeah the other team in Merseyside have a have an excellent boxing day tight. Eight games, eight victories in a row in the Premier League for Liverpool. Coming back though after the travel and, and obviously playing in the FIFA World Club Cup or Club World Cup or whichever way we're moving it around, so that tournament's said correctly. Uh, they take on Leicester, first against second. Best time, surely, to take on Liverpool if you're a Leicester City fan? Um,
2: possibly. If you look at it that way, I'd say yes. Um, but I think coming back winners of the World Club Cup, that will... Give them extra spring that will re, you know, rejuvenate them. Um, you know, over the two games, Jurgen Klopp was able to kind of rotate the team, um, and I think just winning the trophy will 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 kick them on again and, and give them that extra bit of energy and kind of confidence. Um, and you know, we've seen even when Liverpool are playing poor, they still tend to kind of pick up results. So they're just a difficult, difficult team to to play against in any circumstance, and. I just find it amazing, really. You know, looking at this Liverpool team now, and I've, I mean, they, they've got to be the fittest team in the league. Because you look at the game, the amount of games that they played. You look at that front three that have been involved in so many games over the last two or three seasons. Have had hardly any kind of rest. Um, Jurgen Klopp the something didn't bring any players in. Um, you know, Mohamed Salah has basically gone from a, I think it's a World Cup, played in a Champions League final, or well, played all season, played the Champions League final. He's had a World Cup, he's had an African Nations, um, and probably had about two weeks off in, in about <laughs> three seasons. And, you know, Mali the same, I think Copa America for Firmino, and to see the front three still performing the way that they do, and, you know, to not hardly pick up any injuries and stuff, it's, it's unheard of, really. Um, and for them to, you know, kick on from last season, um, the disappointment, win the Champions League final, hit the ground running, um, and not, well, not have lost the game yet. It's just it's, it defies the laws of, of football. Really, it's crazy. Um, so it's going to be difficult for Leicester. It's going to be a difficult game, even though they're going to be coming back. Uh, slightly jaded, but but very happy, obviously, to have won a World Club Cup for the first time in the history.
0: Well, poor Bobby Firmino has got another Copa America coming up at the end of this season as well, so he's <laughs> he's going to be legless next year at some point, I'm sure. <laughs> he'll, he'll be running to the ground, man. Yeah, he
2: might be legless if Liverpool uh, win, win the Premier League, but legless in a, in a different <laughs> way. <laughs> man,
0: he'll be joining Ancelotti at the Italian place in he Liverpool, will. man. He will, he
2: will.
0: <laughs> Danny, mate, thanks, uh, thanks so much. I, I'm glad that, uh, once again, you'll be able to have your feet up on Boxing Day and watch the football rather than uh, train it. Not well, not training as you as you let us know yeah, earlier. It's, and uh... it's,
2: it's one of the few joys of the time. in there. you get to enjoy <laughs> Christmas and eat, eat and drink what you exactly what you want. And uh, and then fall asleep in front of the TV watching like Home Alone or whatever it is or Star Wars. Or <laughs> it's lovely. It's
0: beautiful. Oh, don't go and see the new Star Wars. Whatever you do, don't. No, no, oh, don't no. say that. <laughs> oh, it's. Look, if if you enjoyed the other the like the previous two, then yeah, you probably enjoy this one. But I'm a I'm a stickler for the old three, and that's yeah. it at the moment. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I won't. Oh, we'll save it. We'll save it for the Star Wars podcast that we'll get you. With, don't <laughs> <worry>. <laughs> Let
2: me know, mate. Let me know. I'm will, ready.
0: We'll do. Cheers, Danny. mate. Have Cheers, a great Daddy. Christmas, and uh, thanks for the time, bro.
2: Merry Christmas to me.
0: Cheers, boss. <laughs> Big thanks to Danny there for the time talking all things Premier League football. If you're looking at putting a bet on on Boxing Day with a little bit of Christmas cash to spend, if that bonus came in for you, or of course somebody's been very nice and slipped a tenner in the Christmas card this year, have a look at Leicester against Liverpool. Of course, Liverpool to get a 2-1 victory away against Leicester, 8-1 on betvictor.com. If you're looking at the draw, a one or draw will get you 13-2. Or if you just fancy Leicester to get the job done, 5-2 on home soil to get the victory over Liverpool on Boxing Day. Elsewhere around the Premier League, in terms of bet victors odds, you can look at Sheffield United taking on Watford. Fifth in the table, fifth in the table, Sheffield United taking on the side that have been struggling so much from Hertfordshire. And if you fancy Chris Wilder's team to get a 1-0 victory, 6-1, nice and simple, the victory up at Bramall Lane for Sheffield United, it surely will be 15-2 for them to get a 2-0 victory in that one and Everton as Ancelotti takes the reins for the first time against Burnley. Is he going to have an immediate impact? The new manager bounce against Sean Dyche's pragmatic, traditionally English side of that 4-4-2 that Dyche likes to play up north. Everton, a 1-0 win in Ancelotti's first game. 13-2 on Bet Victor at the moment. 15-2 for a 2-0 victory. If you fancy Dyche's side to get the job done, 15-1 a 1-0 away win at Goodison Park on Boxing Day. Odds are subject to change. Please gamble responsibly for More information on that, visit begammalaware.org and you must be 18 or over to bet. A big thanks to Liam and to Danny for their uh, work today coming on on this extended Premier League podcast. A big thank you to all of you for listening. Please remember to like, subscribe and follow the podcast. Leave us a review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, on Anchor.fm, our host, Spotify and all good other podcasting outlets. You can follow myself, O underscore J underscore Wilson. You can follow Jason at Jason Pettigrove. And of course, you can follow at BetVictor. That's at BetVictor, our sponsor. Enjoy the festive period. Please do everything safely and responsibly, including gambling and drinking and enjoying the time, but also sit back on Boxing Day and watch all the Premier League football. More coming up later on over the festive period, but until then, it's goodbye from us